Well, Leslie, thank you for talking to me again. Uh, we've known each other a long time, and a few weeks ago, I saw a press release from your side of, of the pond, uh, launching your new funds in sustainable investing, and I felt that I should reach out and get a viewpoint from you just to clarify exactly what it means, because obviously it's a big theme today. A lot of money is rushing to the environment, and quite rightly so, because there's a lot of damage done to the environment, and I think maybe private capital or, or capital markets need to really be cognizant of the fact that they can really be a force for good and uh, to help, you know, maybe make uh, the world a better place. So if we can get from you maybe a short explanation of what sustainable investing means in terms of potential returns and uh, what it means for investors, Leslie. Okay, yeah. But firstly, thanks, Trung, for, you know, catching up again. And um, yeah, I'm sure. I think I'll try to address that point when it comes to sustainable investing and um, this whole new theme that people are very focused on right now. I think number one is um, in terms of potential returns, people get the wrong idea or at least misconception that you know ESG or sustainable investing means you have to sacrifice returns. I think we just want to be able to make it clear at the beginning here that it's not the case. You can make money. At the same time, you can make a positive impact. So on top of just looking at your traditional uh, business models, industry, industry trends, uh, earnings growth of a company, I think people start to look at how each individual company or their business is actually doing uh, a, a better job or doing the right thing for environment, for society, and also providing the right governance when it comes to managing the whole business. So yeah, both financials and also all such uh, ESG-related measures are considered when we invest um, for investors in this fund. And at least from yes. a headline uh, viewpoint, Leslie, th there seems to be some overlap between sustainable investing and Sharia investing, which both have, I guess, uh, headline similarities in, in terms of ethics and, and basically trying to do right by each other. Can, can you clarify the, two, the difference mm -hmm. between the two? Uh, yeah, I think some would say Sharia is actually a subset of uh, sustainable ESG investment. But I think that, I mean, obvious thing is Sharia is actually faith-based. And I think the differences is that they tend to be more towards uh, negative screening. So for example, we all know that, you know, if you're Sharia investors, you don't invest in gaming, pork, anything to do with Reba, interest-related businesses. So, you know, people just avoid them. For sustainable investing, people not only look for positive impact, you know, companies that make a difference, people also engage with the companies they try to push these companies um, you know, to do more and to set them targets to hopefully achieve so that it can have a yeah, positive impact on ESG. Okay, environmental social governance, right? Um, but yes. traditionally, investors are much more returns focused, right? And especially in, in Asia, where I, if I can generalize a little bit, um, at least from an individual investor perspective, people tend to care less about the environments and care more about returns. Um, can is, mm. is there an emphasis between um, the environment and commercial profit in what you're trying to do with a sustainable investing fund? Uh, yeah, so we try to achieve both for this fund. We hope to. And so far since inception of the fund, we have actually managed to outperform our benchmark, generate positive returns. So I think if you look at numbers year to date, we are up about, let's say, 18.5%, I think, versus benchmark about around 14 or 15%. So number one, we actually beat the benchmark. We are generating positive returns. Um, number two, 
we actually measure the positive impact that we can generate for some of these investors. I know you said about the mentality. It takes time. People, you know, need to slowly get comfortable, get used to the idea, especially here over in the Asia where it's kind of new. Um, people don't necessarily trust you immediately, especially when they say, oh, this is just another theme, another fad comes and go. You know, everyone says they want to do green, right? Everyone wants to, you know, better to the environment. So what's the difference? So in our case, we try to actually quantify and measure it. So to tell investors exactly, you know, for every, let's say, 100,000 ringgit or a million US that you invest in, you know, how many lives you're potentially saving from the vaccines that, you know, people are getting, how many tons of materials are being recycled, um, you know, how many, how much carbon emission have been reduced because of these companies, because of their capital, right? So I think once people get used to this, hopefully they will be more open and it will be just part of normal investing venture. So your fund is quite concentrated, I think at most 40 positions mm. at this point in time, and usually in developed markets, not emerging markets, right? So um, I also noticed that ESG uh, funds, which fall within the benchmark, tend to trade at a premium. And when I look at some of the names here, mm. uh, Microsoft, Apple, Alphabet, tech names, clearly, uh, PayPal is in there as well. Um, why, why is that? Why is it that ESG fund, yeah, ESG stocks tend to get that premium advantage? Um, partly because of also the you know the growth in ESG um, mandates or funds over the last call it three years or so, so there's a lot of money moving there. People are moving in, and that sort of creates a situation whereby you know tons of cash um, looking at limited assets. When I say limited assets, meaning assets that so-called fall under this, this ESG C. So you know people move in, people like the team, they find that oh this is suitable for ESG they will start to invest and it pushes up uh, you know, the price of the stock and as a result, the valuation as well. We don't really believe in that because we don't believe in overpaying because if you overpay, we might miss out on achieving the returns, right? We said two things, returns and positive impact. By overpaying and you know, paying a premium, you might not be able to achieve that uh, outperformance for your clients. So I think there are lots of people who have chased over ESG assets um, in the last couple, last year or two, especially, and that's why they trade at a higher premium. Yeah, but then some of the other names in your fund, uh, I want to cite like I think Safaricom is in there, not quite a household mm. name. Medtronic, they do, um, they address the uh, obesity epidemic. Uh, there's also companies like um, Pentair, clean drinking water, mm. uh, Beckton Dickinson, PLC, I think. Uh, again, obesity, yeah. epidemic, commu communicable diseases. So not necessarily mm. household names, like Leslie. Um, they might not be therefore as deep and as liquid as the apples of this world. So is, is that mm. does that pose a danger in the interim? No, not, not really. Because um, while they are not the mega caps that we are familiar with, these are actually within their own industry, very big players. Um, if you look at the context of uh, US, some of these companies are, you know, in the billions or not, uh, you know, tens of billions of in terms of market cap. So they provide a lot of, uh, you know, very good technology, be it, uh, you know, in terms of water purification. You mentioned Pentair. Um, Safari.com is actually, uh, uh, you know, operating in Africa, providing, um, you know, payment system via the mobile phone to help a lot of the economy develop in Africa because not many people own a bank account in Africa for obvious reasons, but, you know, their service have allowed a lot of small traders 
to be able to do business, pay, receive money, settle payments. So, you know, it has really helped a lot of people um, and create economic growth, economic growth for um, some countries. So I think, I think yeah, market cap-wise and size-wise and liquidity-wise, these are all names that we are pretty comfortable with. Yeah, and, and then I, I, I guess um, performance, right? You have taken quite a big step mm. of benchmarking against the uh, MSCI All-Country World Index. Those are large and mid-cap stocks across roughly half developed markets and half emerging markets. So, so over the next 10 years, what kind of performance can we, you know, can you expect to return to investors in this fund? Um, typically, for these sort of funds, we aim to achieve at least 2 to 3% above benchmark. So if you just look at uh, historical performance of global markets, just as a general guide, right? Uh, if you're looking at maybe perhaps a, if uh, they can repeat a sort of 7% long-term, you're know, talking about 10, 20 years long-term return, you'll be, uh, the fund could potentially deliver um, you know, 9, 10% returns. Obviously, if the overall economy growth is slower and markets' returns are slower, you know, the number will be lower. But we still hope to be able to deliver more than the benchmark. Yeah, so about the same as most actively managed funds, except that the difference is that you get to sleep better at night because you're not necessarily um, damaging the environment, yeah? Um, but what about the fact that you also were in the press recently are saying that um, it's looking quite good for risk on assets like equities now. Over the next 12 mm. months, there's lots of liquidity in the system. Um, equities will make, you know, shares will make good investments. What, what, what did you mean by that? Um, I think, yeah, at this point in time, if you compare investing in shares versus what other options that you have or asset classes that you want to consider, number one, let's say relative to bond. Bond yields are still at, uh, using just, you know, global, sorry, US Treasury as an example, 10-year, let's say 1.3% today um, versus if you put it into the stock market, earnings yield of the um, stock market is actually 300 bits higher. So you get a yield pickup, right, or better returns as a result. So why not, you know, go for equities? And not only that, I think the liquidity issue is there. And when you look at the sources of liquidity, number one, central banks have yet to pull back stimulus, right? The US is still, or the Fed is still buying 120 billion a month of, you know, um, you know, bonds from the market or fixed income assets. That's one. Um, number two, if you look at the money market funds, um, after the COVID crisis kicked in, Money markets fund grew to a size of about 4.8 trillion US dollars. But at least money market funds literally own almost nothing. Um, but today, if you look at the numbers, it's only dropped down to about 4.5 trillion. And historically, after crisis, you get about two, three years whereby you know uh, these sort of funds sort of start to flow back into so-called riskier assets to look for returns. But we haven't seen a big move in this case uh, post-COVID. So I think these funds will eventually come out and they will look for better returns. Um, so that's money market, government. But if you look at corporates as well, corporates in the last year, because of COVID, they were very cautious. They pulled back on investment, they cut dividends, they stopped buying back shares, raised a lot of uh, bonds to make sure they have the cash and liquidity to survive the crisis. Now that I can say that you know, the crisis has passed, they are beginning to buy back their shares, right? Earnings are also recovered. Um, and sometimes some of the companies are actually back beyond. Uh, 2019 levels. So we will see a, you know, a pickup in stock buybacks, especially in the US. So that all these will mean that you know, the markets, it's very well supported. That's what I mean that you know, there's still a lot of liquidity there. 
Well, Malaysia is, I think, minus 9% year-to-date. So maybe with the exception of Malaysia, or is it a very good time to buy Malaysia now? Not that you know because you're looking more into the world. But then <laughs> the S&P is up 18 20% so far this year. The Nasdaq is up by about the same quantum. Can markets go higher, Leslie? Um, I think so. Back onto the point about liquidity. And I think the other part that is very important is as long as the economic growth continues, um, and the earnings momentum continues, markets can move higher. We believe so. The only issue is we are not saying that markets move one way, right? And one straight line up. Markets never move that way. So if you ask me that, are you worried about a pullback? I say, yeah, but in fact, I'll look at a pullback as being healthy. Uh, occasionally, you do get uh, you know, some sort of pullback. In fact, just within the last month, we had about 2 or 3% pullback. That's actually good because in this sort of pullback, um, it's all this funds we're sitting by the side that's waiting to come in to buy. Um, as long as your economy recovers or normalizes, you know, people like to use all this industry jargon um, and earnings can continue to grow. The rate of return might not be as high. Obviously, if you bought during the last 12 months, you know, or at the bottom of the crisis, you made tons of money. Can I make that sort of same return in the next 12 months? Probably not. I can still generate positive returns. I think so. Um, well, well, thank you for talking to me. I, I guess we can revisit this conversation in 12 months' time and um, you know, to see how many mm. trillions have washed into your funds, hoping to take <laughs> a return so. and uh, try and save the world at the same time. So thank you for talking to me and uh, stay safe, yeah, Leslie. Take care of yourself. Yeah, thanks, John. Stay luck. safe. Take care.